So we reached Pergamum, uh, going through the book of Revelation. And one of the things that we're also doing this evening, if you look inside the notice sheet, is we're launching a new partnership. And we're developing our global focus work. We've been privileged in this church uh, to have some amazing mission partners. Um, and for the main, they've been people who've gone out from this church and are serving God in different parts of the world. Um, about five years ago, we started a partnership with an organization. That was different for us uh, because previously we'd only had uh, mission partnerships with people. World Vision became our first organization, and today we're launching our second partnership with an organization. And uh, it's great to have uh, Andy and Stephanie from International Justice Mission, um, and we'll be interviewing Andy later on about the work, and you can find out more. There's, there's a stall at the back with some information about the work that they do. And uh, we want to broaden the way in which we look at world mission, not just about traditionally going and preaching the gospel to other places, but also seeing God's heart for justice, God's heart for the poor. And you'll see in the notice sheet there are four or five categories that we've looked at as the global focus team and as vestry, and we're going to be developing that work over the next few years. So just be having an eye out for the ways in which it's going to change. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're in any way less committed to our existing mission partners. Uh, they remain our mission partners. And uh, as I said in the notice sheet, the fact that we're going to put their financial support actually as the first item in our general budget underlines our support to them. They aren't going to be dependent on a gift day uh, anymore. But I want to begin looking at this passage and the church in Pergamum. Um, by, I was trying to think of a sort of a contemporary example that would resonate with the situation in Pergamum. And as I thought about this passage, as I read this passage, um, my mind went to what is perhaps the most popular uh, television show in the world at the moment. Uh, if you've got Sky Atlantic, you will know Game of Thrones. It's shown in America, Canada, the UK, India, Australia, and New Zealand, Pakistan, the Philippines, and South Africa. A version of it was even shown in China, although it was very heavily edited because of there's so much sex and violence in Game of Thrones uh, that they edited it out, and people who knew Game of Thrones said that the Chinese authorities had made a complete nonsense of any plot at all. Some people would say there was no plot anyway in Game of Thrones, um, but it's very well known across the world. The TV series is based on uh, books by George R. R. Martin, which are called Songs of Ice and Fire. But that didn't sound exciting enough uh, for the people who are making the television series, so they called it after the first book, Game of Thrones. And the fifth series begins in the UK on April the 13th, and you've probably already seen the adverts on the buses. And it has the feeling of each episode, really, of a film. Um, the music is like a film. The, the, the budget is certainly that of a film. If you were watching, like me, the rugby yesterday, um, the, the eye dents that ran into each rugby game um, had sort of, you know, Edinburgh and the castle coming out of Edinburgh and then, and then Rome and then sort of bits of a castle coming out of Rome and then um, Twickenham and, and again London, sort of a castle coming out. Well, that was all based on 
the graphics for Game of Thrones. They'd just taken Game of Thrones graphics and sort of substituted Rome and Edinburgh and London for the places that are in Game of Thrones. And the films, uh, uh, the, the episodes are filmed in lots of different places. They're on location in Ireland, Croatia, Iceland, Morocco, Spain, Malta, and even Scotland. Apparently, they did come to Scotland first to film it, but Scotland blew it, and they went instead uh, to Northern Ireland, where most of it has been shot. And each episode, as I say, has the feel and budget and certainly the soundtrack of a major feature film. But it's safe to say that the series has also caused quite a stir because there is great acting and there is great music, uh, but also there is very graphic sex and violence, which has led to it being referred to by some critics as torture porn or the Sopranos in Middle Earth. Um, it has that sort of feel to it. Um, you, you, re you watch an episode and it's like, whoa, whoa, that was a bit strong. Um, it's based on the English War of the Roses. Um, there are other references um, to, to other historical occurrences as well. But it's based on the English War of the Roses, and the series focuses on the struggle for power between two fictional continents, Westeros and Essos. And it focuses on the power struggle between these continents as to who is going to sit on what's called the Iron throne of the seven kingdoms. And that's a picture of Sean Bean looking mean and moody, sitting on the iron throne of the seven kingdoms. Um, because they shot it in uh, Northern Ireland, when the queen went to Belfast, she visited the location set uh, of uh, Game of Thrones. And there, there is a wonderful picture of the queen sort of looking at the Iron Throne, and there are all sorts of captions on Google, most of which we can't repeat uh, in church. Um, but it is a, a well-made um, uh, series that has very high production values, and it all focuses around this particular throne. And the throne is the symbol of power. The throne is the symbol of wealth, of status, of Influence, whoever sits on the Iron Throne of the Seven Kingdoms, well, they're the person who is in charge. The throne is the literal seat of power. That's what thrones signify. That's what they stand for. Um, that's why you should be very um, suspicious if you ever see people in churches sitting on thrones. And there are churches that have thrones, some large, some small, uh, but churches are not supposed to be ruled by people who sit on thrones. Um, I was very impressed that Justin Welby, when he became the Archbishop of Canterbury, refused to be enthroned. He said, I will be installed, but I will not be enthroned, because thrones have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Christian leaders should not sit on thrones. They should sit on the front row in seats like everybody else, not on thrones. But the church in Pergamum had a problem with a throne. And this was no game of thrones. Pergamum was a city, like many of the cities written to in the book of Revelation, which was built on an acropolis. That's uh, Pergamum today. Uh, there are still some stunning ruins that you can see at the site of Pergamum. Um, but it's seated high on a hill, 50 miles north of Smyrna. 
And Pergamum was a city of great beauty and spiritual power. And it could be seen uh, for miles around. All that's left now are these ruins on the top. Um, There is a bit like the National Monument on Carlton Hill. There's a sort of version of that, the Acropolis um, at Pergamum, with other ruins all around it. But it sat on the top of this hill, and it could be seen for miles around, a bit like uh, Stirling Castle or Lincoln Cathedral. And it was the Edinburgh or Washington, D.C. of Asia. It was the seat of imperial power with the oldest temple for state-sponsored worship of the Roman Emperor. It had the magnificent Pergamene Library and the famous temple to a guy called Asclepius, who was the Greek god of healing, and his symbol was a snake, a serpent. And the buildings in Pergamum were apparently astonishing. And if Edinburgh's buildings are characterized mainly by being grey sandstone uh, from Craigleith Quarry, uh, where Sainsbury's now is, and Glasgow's buildings are characterized by being made of that sort of red sandstone, well, Pergamum's also had a distinctive stone out of which all their buildings were made, and it was a black stone. Now, that's significant for what Jesus says to the church in Pergamum. So here we have this church in the place that is the center of government, but is also the center and seat of enormous pagan spirituality and pagan opposition to the Christian faith. And Jesus does not mince his words and is utterly realistic about how bad things are in Pergamum. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live. Now that phrase is often sort of uttered by, you know, Italian mafia. I know where you live. And it has a sort of threatening edge to it. That is not the way in which Jesus is saying it, partly because he wasn't Italian. Um, But he's saying, I know where you live, i.e. I know your situation. I know your context. I know where you live. I know everything about it. It isn't unknown to me. It isn't distant from me. And the place where you live, Jesus says to the church in Pergamum, that is where Satan has his throne. Now, that's quite a damning indictment of a place, isn't it? For Jesus to look at a place and say, that is where Satan has his throne. That's where Satan rules. That's where Satan has his power base. Well, I know where you live, Pergamene Christians. It's where Satan has his throne. It's where Satan lives. And it's even the place of the first, though sadly not the last, Christian Christian Marcia in Asia guy called Antipas that Jesus refers to in verse 13, who is put to death for his faith. He may have been the local church leader, even perhaps the first bishop of Pergamum. But Jesus says to these Christians, you've remained faithful, even in the face of death itself. Even though your leader, Antipas, was martyred for his faith, you have not given up on me. You have not deserted me. A bit like those 50 martyrs a couple of weeks ago in Tunisia or Libya who refused 
to recant of their faith. And as each one of them was beheaded by Isis, called out, Jesus is Lord. That was Antipas's fate. It was their fate. And Jesus commends the church in Pergamum for remaining faithful even in the face of death itself. He says, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me. This is a church that has prevailed. This is a church that has endured. This is a church, even in the face of extreme persecution and danger, despite living in a politically charged, multicultural, pagan city, this church has kept its faith. But not everybody in the church has. Jesus says that there are some in the church who have succumbed to other teaching, those involved in the misuse of sex and power, people that he refers to as Balaamites and Nicolaitans, verses 14 and 15. Both those words, Balaamites and Nicolaitans, actually mean the same thing. They mean master or conqueror of people. So this group of people in the church have been attracted by this false teaching, by these sects, these cults. And they've started to misuse power. They've started to misuse sex. And they've drifted away from faith in Jesus. And the misuse of power and sex has led to the destruction and judgment of some in Pergamum. Yet again, to those who remain faithful, to those who endure and live as Jesus wants them to live, Jesus gives them a promise, verse 17. To them, he says, I will give a new name and a white stone. What's the significance of that? Well, again, remember that Pergamon was built in black stone. And Jesus says, I will give you a white stone. If you wanted to put up on the outside of your house or a building an inscription that said the God that you believed in, then you put an inscription up on white stone because it stood out against the black stone. And the name? Well, it could be the name of Jesus, but it's more likely, literally, a Christian name that Jesus gives to people who endure, people who keep on holding on to their faith, even in the face of persecution. It may be a secret name, a name that nobody else knows, Jesus says. It's quite an intimate thing between Jesus and the person. Because on that name is a, a name that nobody else knows apart from Jesus and the person. And names do have power. I came across this story this week, an incident that happened in India four years ago, where the Indian authorities decided to allow 285 girls to undergo a name-changing ceremony. The reason for that is that each of these 285 girls had all been given the same name. They'd all been given the same name, and that name was Nakusa or Nakushi in Hindi. And Nakusa or Nakushi in Hindi means only one thing. It means unwanted. Can you imagine your parents, your grandparents... When the time comes for you to be named, when you've just been born, and you're given the name unwanted. 
It's quite common in Indian culture and society, a society that often values sons more than daughters. And the Indian authorities wanted to give these 285 girls the power of giving themselves new names. And each of these girls was allowed to choose a new name. And they chose some amazing names. Names in Hindi that meant things like prosperous or beautiful or good. One particular girl chose a name in Hindi that simply means very tough. I don't think you mess with her. One girl who'd been named Nakusa by her disappointed grandfather said this. Now in school, my classmates and friends will be calling me by this new name, and that makes me very happy. But I wonder what does it mean to be the church in a place where Satan seems to have his throne? What does it mean to live for God when it's dangerous? What does it mean to live for God in a place when, where power and sex are misused? What does it mean to have a faith that endures even in the face of the threat of death? What might it mean to seek to give people new names? People whose society says are unwanted or are worthless. Well, that's why this evening we want to introduce you to the work of International Justice Mission. Now, that sounds like something out of a Stanley comic, like the Justice League or International Rescue. But International Justice Mission are an amazing organization. And in a moment, I'm going to ask Andy to come and explain something of their work. But hopefully, to begin with, we're going to watch a short video that gives us an insight into why IJM exists. 